Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Tom Kent. I'm really looking forward to diving into God's Word right now. Um, just a little bit of background for those of you who don't know, my name is Tom Kent and at the moment I'm currently a Bible worker up at Caves Beach Church Plant. Uh, the pastor there is Robbie Morgan and uh, yeah, God's really blessing there and people are coming to know Jesus and people are, are coming to experience the life-changing truth of His Word and uh, I've witnessed personally uh, through the process of Bible studies and leading people to Christ um, just the power of the truth. And for myself, over the last few years, personally I've experienced uh, exactly what this whole weekend is about. Through Christ I've experienced um, overcoming. I've experienced uh, through His strength uh, to draw closer to Him and live a life um, yeah, falling in love with Him. And that's, that's really my prayer for tonight is that as we hear from God's Word, <clears throat> that each of us individually will experience a closer walk with Him. And uh, I just know when we preach the Word, it's, it truly is a double-edged sword. It cuts to the hearers, but it also cuts to the one that is giving it. And this message has been something that has cut to my heart. Uh, so let's pray and we'll jump straight into it. Father in Heaven, Lord, I just want to simply ask that Your Spirit of Truth will lead us into the truth. Lord, I ask that as we open your word, that we will experience Christ. And Father, I pray that even tonight, uh, there can be people and, and recommitments made as well, Lord, that we can uh, continue to walk in a walk of surrender to you. And Father, we can experience the life-changing truth that points us to Christ. Lord, I just pray, hide me behind the cross. I pray that this message will be yours. And I pray, Father, that we can make decisions for you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. When I study the Word of God, something uh, that comes to my mind when I think about overcomers, when I think about the idea of being an overcomer, uh, there's one specific passage that comes to mind. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 to 5. This is the picture in the Bible that I see that is so clear these people are overcomers. And they're overcomers through Christ. So if we turn there to Revelation chapter 14, we'll be reading verses 1 to 5. And we'll be looking at uh, these people who have overcome through Christ. Starting in verse 1, it says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand that were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb wherever He goes. 
These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. As I read this, I see the context and it's these people who have made it through the last great conflict and they have been deemed overcomers through Christ and they are standing with Him on Mount Zion. And uh, there's all these different aspects, but something that is so loud to me as I read this is simply this point. These people in Revelation chapter 14 verses 1 to 5 are a people that have a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. I see when we look in there, we see that these people follow the Lamb wherever He goes. That these people, through Christ and His righteousness, are there standing without fault before the throne of God. They have learned to surrender all to Christ and allowed Him to come in and change their life completely. And this is really what I want to talk about. An intimate relationship with Christ through His Word. The title of this message will be called Overcoming Deceptions. When we look at this experience, I know each of us, right, this is something that we want to experience. We want to be a part of that number, don't we? And I just think, man, Lord, what are you calling us to do? What are you, how do we become that number? That's all I want to know. Just show me in your word how we can follow you more clearly and how we can be in that number. And it's beautiful. If you turn with me in Genesis, to Genesis chapter 22, this intimate experience with Christ is actually, we see glimpses of it throughout the Bible. And I want to show you something that I just learned recently, which has actually radically changed the way that I've seen different, uh, different portions of Scripture. And if we turn to Genesis chapter 22, we're going to see something interesting. This is when Abraham was about to uh, slay Isaac. He was trying to follow what God has called him to do. And just as he's raising his knife to slay his son... In Genesis chapter 22 and verse 11, this is what the Bible says. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. You may be thinking, what's the significance of this? And what I would be thinking is, yeah, what is the significance of this? But did you know to the Hebrew mind, to the Hebrew mind, the repetition of the name Abraham, Abraham, was actually an expression of intimacy. Did you know that? How interesting is that, right? So when God is calling out to Abraham, he says, Abraham, Abraham, it's an expression, a Hebrew expression of intimacy. And we saw this before. uh, Precious was sharing about Moses and God calls out of the burning bush and he says, Moses, Moses. It's a call to a deeper experience with Christ. Is that all what we want tonight? Yes. We see this again, time and time again, we see in the story of Samuel, when God calls to him, he says, Samuel, Samuel, a call to a deeper experience with God. We see this in Christ's life, right? We see when he's mourning and lamenting over Jerusalem, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How he wanted these people to be saved, how he just wanted a deeper experience with them. And of course, when Jesus was on the cross, What does he say? He says, my what? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus had the deepest and most intimate relationship with God. And that, friends, is what I want. And at the foundation of overcoming is this deep experience with God. 
I want you to turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 7. <laughs> Matthew, the seventh chapter, coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and we read these terrifying words. Matthew chapter 7, we're starting in verse 21. If you're there, just say Amen. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, this is what it says. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In your name have we cast out devils, and in your name done many wonderful works, and then the most, one of the most terrifying verses in the whole Bible, it says, And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. There is significance in this passage. We learn a second ago that the repeating of a word, the repeating of a name, it was an expression of intimacy. And there will be a people when Jesus comes again to receive them into his kingdom that will say, Lord, Lord. There will be a people who will claim to have an intimate relationship with Jesus. That's their claim, but Jesus will say, I never knew you. Man, that's terrifying, right? Why? Because they were deceived. They were deceived. Friends, I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to be deceived. I want to have a true and genuine relationship with Jesus. And so we need to back up a little bit and look at this, because what we find is actually there's many times in the Bible where God warns about deception. Did you guys know in Revelation chapter 3 that Laodicea is deceived? <laughs> you think that you're rich and increased with goods, but you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. They're deceived, right? So where did this deception come from and how can we overcome deception? Turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14 is a, a chapter in the Bible that parallels with Ezekiel 28, and they're talking about Lucifer in the beginning. And in Ezekiel chapter 28, we're turning to Isaiah 14, but in Ezekiel chapter 28, uh, what we find is that Lucifer was perfect in all his ways until iniquity was found in him. In Isaiah chapter 14, we actually find what is this iniquity all about? What is it that caused Lucifer to fall? It says here in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 13, if you're there, say amen. It says, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. You see, Lucifer, he fell because he desired in his heart, he lifted himself up and he desired to be like God. He wanted to be like God. He wanted the worship that God received, right? That's what he desires. He wants the power, the glory. But as we see in the Gospels, really what Lucifer wanted was just the crown but not the cross. And we see the beautiful thing in Jesus 
how he took the cross, and that's why he deserves the crown. If we turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 12, we see the result of this outbreak. In Revelation chapter 12, we're looking at verse 7 and 9, if you turn there with me in your Bibles. And when you get there, just simply say, Amen. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 7, and it says, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And that great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which what? Which deceives the whole world. He was cast out into the earth. And his angels were cast out with him. We see, friends, that Lucifer lifted himself up. He desired to be like God. He wanted to receive the worship of God. And he is, we see here that there was a war in heaven. He was cast out with his angels. And he is called the deceiver. So what is deception? What is deception? If I was going to tell you what I thought deception was, this is what I would say. To get people to think they are doing the right thing while they're doing the wrong thing. Simple, right? And this is what we find in Revelation, the message of warning. Lucifer, the dragon, Satan, the great deceiver, his deception will be to get people to try and think, think to get them to think that they're doing the right thing when actually they're doing the wrong thing. And this will make more sense in a second. But when we look at Revelation chapter 13, we see two entities that come up on the stage. We see the first beast and we see the second beast of Revelation 13. And really when we look at it, the whole point of these two beasts, the second beast is trying to cause the whole world to worship the first beast. And the first beast is having all the world wonder after it and follow after it, right? This is Satan's two masterpieces in a sense that he's causing the world to be deceived by. And what we will find is this act of deception in the Christian world. It will be for people to think that they're worshipping God. But in actual fact, if we look in Revelation chapter 13 and verse 4, who are they actually worshipping? And they worshipped the dragon. These people are supposedly worshipping God. They're supposedly loving Jesus. They want Jesus. They believe they are following Jesus. But the dragon receives the worship. Friends, I just want to give you a, a quick little point here. Just so you know, we're living in the end times. We're living in the end times. We can see it in the world, right? And one thing... That is so convicting to me to know that we're living in the end times is simply this. There is a revival of Christianity, but not according to the Word of God. If we turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, this is what we find. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, this is what it says. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were 
created. Who is worthy to receive glory, honor, and power? Who is it according to this verse? The Lord, right? Why? According to this verse, why? Because he's the creator, right? God is worthy of glory, honor, and power, for he has created all things, right? Worship the creator, part of the first angel's message. So why am I not worthy of worship, according to this verse? Because we didn't create, right? Why are you not worthy of worship? Because you didn't create, right? Why is Lucifer not worthy of worship? Because he didn't create anything, right? Okay, what about this? What if, <laughs> what if I was sinless? Would I, still be, would I be worthy of worship or no? no? No, why? Because I didn't create anything, right? Simple. <clears throat> okay, I want you to imagine with me. Satan knows he cannot even match up against the creator, right? He's not worthy of worship. Why? Because he's not the creator. And he's no match for the creator. The creation is no match for the creator. It's like, it's like a Mac going up against Steve Jobs, right? You just unplug it. You know what I mean? Like there's no match. So if in your mind you, you know you're not worthy of worship and yet you desire it, how are you going to go about to get it? Deception. To make people think that they're worshipping God, but they're actually worshipping Satan. Let me put it this way. It's tax time. Oh, no one likes tax time, right? Well, actually, if you get a good return, it's good. But I send out a letter to every single one of you, right? I'm sending out an, a letter from the ATO. I'm not the ATO, but I'm sending out a letter. Forged it. And I've said, hey, you guys, you guys owe me, you guys owe, owe the taxation office X amount of money. And I put on, the, on this letter all the details so you can put it straight into my bank. And you look at it and you're like, oh man, this looks pretty, this looks pretty legit, right? You're thinking, oh man, man, like this, I'm, I, better, I better put it in, right? And so you put money into my account. Let me ask you a question. Did you pay the taxation office? No. Who'd you pay? Me, right? Friends, Pete, Satan is working in the end times to deceive. And he is going to make it look as close as he can to the original and it's going to be a deception. You see, when we think of spiritual discernment in the end time, sometimes we think, it, we think it's like this. And I, I literally have thought this so many times. It's going to be right and it's going to be wrong. Easy. And like, like I know that the Saturday is the Sabbath and I'll be all right to get through the last deception. You know what I mean? But did you know that that's, that's not the case? Deception. We need true spiritual discernment because... It won't be right and wrong. It will be right and almost right. And that's scary. That's scary. Right? Let me put it this way. Doing the wrong things with the wrong motives just means that you're rebelling. Right? But doing the wrong things with the right motives, it means that you're deceived. So let me say this. You may think that you're doing all the right things. You may be thinking that, oh, I've got all the right motives. I'm trying to worship God with all that I am, right? But you can be deceived and still fall under the banner of worshiping the beast. That's scary, friends. That's scary. (sighs) 
So how do we overcome? That's the point, right? That's why we're here. We want to know how can we overcome? How can we have a deeper experience with Christ? How can we be victorious, victorious through Him? I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to John, First uh, John, sorry, First John, just a few books back. First John chapter five, and we're looking here at verses four and five in verse nineteen as well. First John chapter five, starting in verse four, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says in First John chapter five and starting in verse four, it says, "For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith." Who is he that overcomes the world but he that believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Friends, the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. How do we increase and strengthen our faith according to Scripture? Does anyone know? Faith comes by hearing, right? Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Boom. Simple, right? Simple point. The Word of God needs to be the foundation of our faith. When we look here in verse 19 of the same chapter, it says, And we know that we are of God and the whole world, this thing that we're trying to have victory over, right? The whole world lies in wickedness. The New King James Version says, lies under the sway of the wicked one. So question, why do we as Christians oftentimes go to the world for instruction on how to be a Christian. How come we're sometimes ashamed to go to the Word of God, right? Is that a good question or what? Because unfortunately, friends, the deception is going to be this. When we study through Revelation 13, we're going to find that there are going to be a people that are worshipping the beast and there are simply going to be a people that are worshipping God according to His Word. That's the clear distinction. Prophecy actually talks about this. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel, the second chapter. Does anyone know about this chapter? Is there like a statue in it, right? This is something that we have heard about. But the Bible actually prophesies that this would happen in Daniel chapter 2. So, Daniel, which is just after Ezekiel, chapter 2. This is what the Bible says. Daniel chapter 2, and looking at verse 41. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 41, when you're there, say amen. It says, And whereas you saw the feet and toes part of what? Potter's clay, and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, but there shall be in it the strength of the strength of the iron, for as much as you saw the iron mixed with the miry clay. Ooh, difference, right? This is cool. This is interesting. Does anyone know what potter's clay represents in the Bible? According to Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 8, the Bible says, You, O Lord, are the potter and we are the clay. Potter's clay represents the church. And you know what's interesting is when we read the first line of that, it says, And whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay, that's the beginning of the verse. But what's the end of the verse? Miry clay. What we see is that this clay was pure, potter's clay. 
But as it was in connection, as it was in connection with the iron, it became miry clay. Friends, God is desperately wanting his church to experience a revival according to his word. But something that is so crazy is that it holds on to the world and becomes miry. It's a prophecy, right? I want to share with you guys a quote. Now, when I, read, when I first read this quote, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not going to lie, this kind of shook me up a bit because I wasn't ready. So don't, you know, if it shakes you up, it shakes you up. But let the Holy Spirit do its thing, you know. In Great Controversy, page... Oh, man. Page 593, it says this. None but those who have fortified the truths of the Bible who have fortified the the mind with the truths of the Bible will be able to stand in the last great conflict. Let me say that again. None but those who have fortified the mind with the truths of the Bible will be able to stand in the last great conflict. Friends, God is calling us back to the Word of God. God is calling us according to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4, where Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? Every word. Right, right? Every word. So like 50% of the words, 80% of the words, 99.9% of the words. No, no, no. God is calling for his people to experience a revival in Jesus Christ, a deeper experience with him according to the word of God. The Bible says in John chapter 17 and verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We know that the Bible says in John chapter 8 and verse 32, it says, And the truth shall set you free. Right? It's the truth that shall set you free. But friends, who ultimately does that truth point us to? Jesus, right? John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the truth. And friends, when we claim to be Christians, we have to be ever so careful because we're claiming to follow the one who is truth. And what we're saying is we're claiming to follow the one The Word of God, right? So how do we know what side we're on? We want to have confidence, right? I want to share with you another quote. This is really powerful. Hmm. Did you notice in, when we were reading in Matthew chapter 7 that these people were saying, Lord, Lord, they were claiming to have a deep, intimate experience with God. And they said all these things that they had done, right? They had said that they had cast out demons in his name, they had prophesied in his name, they'd done all these things. Man, like if they're doing all these things, it can be sometimes a bit nerve-wracking then. Like, how do we know whose side we're on? I want to share with you a quote from Steps of Christ. It says, It is true that there may be an outward correctness of deportment without the renewing power of Christ. The love of influence and the desire of esteem of others may produce a well-ordered life. Self-respect may lead us to avoid the appearance of evil. A selfish heart may perform generous actions. By what means then shall we determine whose side we are on? That's what we want to know. Friends, this is so beautiful. Literally, this is powerful. Who has the heart? With whom are our thoughts? Of whom do we love to converse? 
Who has our warmest affections and our best energies? If we are Christ's, our thoughts are with him and our sweetest thoughts are of him. All we have and are is consecrated to him. We long to bear his image, to breathe his spirit, to do his will and please him in all things. Those who become new creatures in Christ Jesus will bring forth the fruits of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. They will no longer fashion themselves according to the former lusts, but by the faith of the Son of God, they will follow in His steps, reflect His character, and purify themselves even as He is pure. The things they once hated, they now love. And the things they once loved, they hate. The proud and self-assertive become meek and lowly in heart. The vain and supercilious become serious and unobtrusive. The drunken become sober and the profligate pure. Isn't that powerful, right? The whole point when when Jesus talks about overcoming in his word and especially in in, uh, overcoming deceptions, his call is a call to have a deeper experience with him. And friends, I'm not just talking about just simply coming to church once a week. I'm not just simply talking about saying yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. But actually, your whole heart is with Jesus. Your thoughts are with Him. The meditations of your heart and the thoughts of your mind are drawn to Him. Your words are of Him, right? He has your warmest affections. Isn't that what we all desire to have is throughout the day is just to have our, total, our mind totally on Christ. Friends, that's what I want and that's what I desire. A few years ago, I was living in Brisbane. How much time we got? I was living in Brisbane and uh, I was studying chemistry at the time. I had grown up a Seventh-day Adventist and you know what I thought? I thought that I was all good. (laughs) I was deceived. I thought that I was all good because I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go do my thing. And then when all this stuff starts to happen that I sort of heard about in Revelation, that's when I'll just make the quick, you know, go to the other, go back to God. You know what I mean? Right? And you know what I found is I remembered, I remember laying in bed at 11.30 p.m. at night, staring into the ceiling and just feeling like, I just kind of felt like my life was a bit empty. I'd grown up a Seventh-day Adventist, but I'd, I'd kind of walked away, in a sense. Still went to church, but I'd walked away in my heart, right? I was looking to do those things that the world does, right? And I remember just thinking to myself, man, like, is this really it, right? I was experiencing emptiness, but I wanted to experience what my mom and what my grandma and what my fa- some of my family was experiencing. And I just saw that they had a joy and a love for Jesus. And for some reason, they seemed to talk about him like every day. And their thoughts were about him and their best energies were for him. My mom and my grandma, uh, they're both, well, my grandma's old, but she's, she was a coal porter. And uh, my mom is still a coal porter. And I used to hear stories after stories, and I used to hear just this, this, this love outflow from their life for Jesus. 
And I think, oh man, I wanted that, right? I wanted that love. I wanted what they were experiencing, that joy, that happiness. But man, like, there's some of the truth that my mum would say was kind of hard-hitting. Like, I didn't want to hear that, right? Like, mum, don't, don't tell me about that sometimes, right? I remember, actually, when I was a kid, like when I was really young, I remember I'd, I'd asked my mum for a car, a little, like, little matchbox, and I thought that, man, these cars are just the best. And the more I'd have, the happier I'd be. I remember one time I like, went to my mum after she'd got me a car and I just said, Mum, like, something's missing. Like, I think I need another car. And she's like, no, Tom, you need Jesus. <laughs> and I remember thinking to myself, like, like, I was so young. I'm like, I don't even know. Like, what? Like, okay, like, how, do I, how do I get that, right? I was young. Something that my mum understood that I had missed all of these years until I was 18 years old was something called surrender. Surrender to the word of God. The Bible says in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus says, If any man desires to follow me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross. Jesus wants to be born again and us to be born again according to his word, right? Of an incorruptible seed, the word of God. That's what Peter says. But it's a wholehearted surrender. And I want to make an appeal tonight for you guys because I believe that we need to be constantly walking in a walk of surrender with Jesus. And though at times it may seem tough and hard, and though at times it may seem like our fears, like Precious was talking about, our fears overcome us, it's the most joyful. It's the happiest way. It's the narrow road, but man, we get joy when we look down and we see the footprints of Jesus. We know that we're walking with Him. And friends... The point that Jesus is trying to draw us to is a complete and utter surrender of our heart. The ways that we overcome deception is simple. The Word of God. Our faith is the victory and faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The Bible also says in John chapter 14 and verse 29 a principle of prophecy. I tell you these things That when they come to pass, you may believe, right? That you may increase your faith. We have both the Word of God and prophecy, which is in the Word of God. Awesome, right? These things God is calling us to, to increase our faith. And He doesn't just want us to hear it, though. You know, the Bible says in James chapter 1 and verse 22, the Bible says, Be ye doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Friends, you will deceive yourself if you think that you can continue to come to church week after week, hearing the minister's words, and yet think that you can make it through the last great conflict. I know that's hard, and I know that sometimes that makes you feel a bit uncomfortable, but it's the truth. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. But let me tell you, friends, the most beautiful thing. Let's go to this verse. This is my favorite verse in the whole Bible, and we're going to finish here. We're going to wrap up. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. This is what the Bible says. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what the beautiful thing is about surrender? 
that when we surrender to the word of God and we choose to allow Christ to crucify us, you know who lives in our heart? Jesus, right? And this is a picture of the journey with Jesus to Revelation chapter 14, verses 1 to 5. Those people that are standing with him, the 144,000 who follow him wherever he goes. Because, you know, those people in the end time, Jesus will be perfectly reflected through them. Man, that's exciting. That's exciting to think that Jesus would live in my heart. I don't deserve it. I'm unworthy, right? But praise the Lord of his great mercy, of his great love, of his great forgiveness. And friends, praise the Lord that as we come to Jesus, as, these, as that song said a while back, weeping at the feet of the cross at times, praying that he will teach us to hate sin and to love righteousness, praying just praying that Jesus will continue to hold on to us and pull us through. The beautiful thing is that he will be reflected through us. Friends, I want to make an appeal tonight. There is a deception coming. There is a great deception coming in the end times, and it will be a deception where people will think that they are worshipping God, but unfortunately, as Revelation chapter 13 and verse 4 says, they will actually worship the dragon. That's heavy. Friends, I want to choose today. This is me. I want to choose today to surrender to the Word of God and to choose to live my life by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And friends, if that is your desire tonight, whether it's a recommitment or the first time, there might be things in your life that think, man, I just can't overcome it. You can overcome it through Christ. If you don't think that you can overcome it through Christ, then how much do you really value the sacrifice that he made for you? Friends, through Christ, through the faith of Jesus, he can live in our hearts and help us to overcome. And don't don't forget, friends, though a man falls seven times, yet what? He get back up, right? Through Christ, we can continue to get back up. If your desire tonight is to choose to surrender completely to the Word of God, I would just ask you to stand as we pray. If there is someone in this room that is struggling with something and hasn't given it to the Lord in full surrender, and let me tell you right now, if the Spirit is convicting you of it, that uneasy feeling in your heart, the Spirit is convicting you and bringing to your mind the things that you need to surrender to Jesus, whatever it might be, addictions, choosing to be a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God, whatever it might be, you know it, I don't. Friends, if that is your desire to surrender it as we pray, when all eyes are closed, we'll just ask you to raise your hands. Father in heaven, Lord, we just want to come to you. And Lord, we see such a beautiful picture in your word of the overcomers. And they are a people who had a deep experience with Jesus. And friends, we also, Lord, we also saw, God, that in your word, there will be a people. And it's so sad, Lord, and we don't want to be. We don't want to be those ones that are deceived. Those people who cry to you, Lord, Lord, they claim to have that relationship with you, yet they are deceived. Lord, I pray 
for every single person in this room. May we desire tonight to choose to live our lives in surrender to your word. To live our lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. To live our lives by the faith of Jesus. And Lord, help us as we learn and consume this truth, not to hold on to it ourselves. But Lord, may we, as it says in your word in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 11, that we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Lord, help us to share it. Help us to share the truth. Because Lord, Father, we desperately are in need of a transformation of character. And we ask by the blood of Jesus Christ that as we learn the truth and step forward in faith to share it, may we have no fear. And may we remember that you are with us, Lord. God, we surrender to you. And if there is anyone in the room right now that has something they are wanting to surrender to you, Lord, we just lift our hands to you in prayer. And we just ask, Lord, that as you see the hands that are lifted, that whatever it is that is holding us in bounds, in prison, Lord, we just ask that you take away this sin. Lord, we surrender it to you and we ask that you help us to walk forward with you. Help us to never forget that you are upholding us by the right hand of your righteousness, that we are walking with Jesus. And Lord, no matter where the world tells us we should be, there is no greater place than walking right next to Jesus. Lord, we surrender to you and we give our whole lives to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This message was made available by the Watara Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit waitarachurch.org.au.
Leah Fong sang Pray On. Up next, How Great Thou Art by BYU Noteworthy. Yeah. 
Welcome to God's Favourite Shepherds, a collection of 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters, with many of the stories ending with a short quiz. Listen now to the author of God's Favourite Shepherds, Bill Ackland. Today's story comes from Eve, and it is entitled Life After Eden. And the subheading could be Living with Regret. And this story is based on Genesis chapters 2, 3, and 4. I am sitting on the bank of the great river Euphrates. How kind our Heavenly Father is to give Adam and me such a beautiful day, though nothing can match the days we spent in Eden. Adam is working in the field not far from here, and our two young boys are playing as boys do. The sweat from my husband's toil is making his face glisten, as God said it would on that dreadful day when we disobeyed him. I have been helping my husband, which is my role. Just now I have come to the river to enjoy some shade under the giant cedar trees. But now my mind is going back to Eden, how things were for me then. I am feeling a little strange, having wandered from Adam in our garden home. There is so much still to see in Eden, even though we have been in God's garden for some time. Adam wants to go through the garden in an orderly way and name all the plants and the trees so we will know to which plant or tree we are referring when we make plans for our garden home. In walking through the garden, I have somehow become separated from Adam, but I keep walking on the carpet of soft grass that forms a background palette for the myriad colours of the flowers. They seem to nod as I walk by, saying in their flowery way, I hope you like my special scent on this new Eden day. The feeling of strangeness deepens as I keep walking. Then, without warning, I see a winged serpent draped in a tree I have never seen before. Its fruit looks so delicious. Is this the tree that God had warned us not to eat of or even to touch its fruit or we would die? My musing is interrupted, for the serpent speaks to us. This shocks me, for I have never heard an animal or bird of any kind speak in our language, which I thought was only for Adam and me and our children when they would come. I cannot fully understand what the serpent means when he speaks the fateful words, Has not God told you that you must not eat of every tree that bears fruit in this garden? I quickly respond, saying, God said that we could eat of every tree in Eden except the tree that he called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said we must not eat of it, for if we did, we would die. Then the serpent said something I could hardly believe. Oh no, it won't be certain at all that you will die. God knows that when you eat of this fruit, you'll be just like him, knowing what is good and what is evil. And he does not want you to have that knowledge. I could hardly believe what happened next. I could see that the fruit was just so beautiful. I could almost see its goodness oozing through its skin. There was nothing about the tree to make it look bad for me. So I plucked some fruit and ate it. 
By this time, Adam had found me. I gave him one of the pieces of fruit. Adam realised what I had done. I had disobeyed our master. Yet, because I was made from part of his body, he could not give me up, so he ate the fruit too. Immediately, we felt different, quite different. We realised the glorious covering of light that God had given us. To be a reflection of his glory was gone. We were completely naked. We both thought God would not like that, so we quickly picked some fig leaves and with some thin creeper sewed these together to cover us. By this time it was the evening hour when God appeared in the garden with us and to tell us more about himself and the wonderful world he had made for the human race. We heard his voice calling us, but we had hidden amongst the dense foliage of some shrubs. Of course, he knew where we were. So Adam responded by saying, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was naked. I was afraid that you would not want to see us. From that point, things only got worse. God asked Adam, had we eaten of the forbidden tree? Then Adam blamed me for giving him the fruit, and I blamed the serpent which God had made for enticing me to eat the fruit. In his great mercy and love, God spoke first to the serpent, or really, to the one who spoke through this creature, pronouncing a punishment upon him. The Saviour would come into the world and bruise his head while suffering his heel to be hurt. Our immediate future was in God's hands. He told us that we could not stay in our perfect Eden home. An angel would ensure that when we had left the only home we knew, we would not be able to enter it again. How our hearts ached with remorse and regret, but mostly because we had disobeyed our Heavenly Father, our Creator. We had caused Him infinitely more pain than we would ever know. Some years have passed since I sat by the Euphrates, musing on how different life has become since we had to walk away from Eden. Now Adam and I know a little of how our Heavenly Father will feel when His Son will come to this earth as our Redeemer and give His precious life for the race that went astray. It was only a little more than a year ago when our firstborn son Cain, in an outburst of envy and anger, took the life of our youngest son Abel. Abel had always been a good boy, never giving us any trouble. He realised what the sacrifice of a lamb meant. He brought a young one from his flock and offered it to God. This signified that he knew that one day the Saviour's blood would be shed. Now God has blessed us with another son, whom we have named Seth. Is he to be the one God promised would bruise the serpent's head? I don't know for how many years evil will be in this world. Adam and I have talked so much about the Father's promise. We had hoped the Saviour would come soon, definitely in our lifetime. We just do not know. Here's a brief quiz about this story for you. Did Adam and Eve always live in Eden? Why did they have to leave? What kind of work did Adam do after Eden? Name three of their children. Who did Adam and Eve think Seth would be? 
been listening to God's Favoured Shepherds, a book with 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters. If you have any comments or questions, or to obtain a copy of this book, give us a call within Australia on 02 4973 3456 or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.